Then I shoot my shot, it's the Hawaii way it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a fuck. I hit that Janobi with my left hand all like, woo! Bitch, you want women shooting in the gym? Long nights, I perform like Mike. Anyone, Tyson, Jordan, Jackson, action. James Harden with the range, don't be nigga way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine circus. And you can live through anything if magic made it. A lot of thoughts on the mind, man. Let's speak, though. What up, my fellow Knicks fans? This is your guy, Marcellus Ease. Don't panic quite yet. Now, finally, after nine months of just being out of action, our young guys get to return on the court. We're going to touch base on the main key points of the Knicks media days, particularly from the young guys, just hearing from them and Coach Thibodeau. And I also touch base on this year's deep roster construction, not only by the Knicks, but many other teams throughout the league, because not only everyone's going to be battling injuries, but they are going to be battling players fighting through this flu virus that's going around. And of course, last but not least, I know I've been telling you guys for a while now, I'll touch base on the Brooklyn Nets and their branding and a lot of key mistakes they made when they first showed up in Brooklyn. As this season will be their first season in a real attempt to try to snag some of that New York market away from the Knicks. But unfortunately, because some of the branding mistakes they made when they first showed up in Brooklyn, they'll kind of forever be stunted in a certain position. But before I get to my quick hits, once again, I know you guys have a lot of different hobbies, interests. You guys check out my weekly gems below in the description. There's a lot of different articles, books, music playlists, a lot of things you could download straight into your phone to keep you in the know. So you guys check it out. Before I touch base on the Knicks media day, I just want to say special shout out to the Knicks for not falling into no Russell Westbrook trap. I mean, Jesus Christ, the media hyped him up so much and nobody wanted him the whole time, but they were trying to shame the Knicks onto taking him. Come on, man. Ain't no way. Ain't no fucking way. Of course, this year, due to the pandemic, the media has very limited access to the players, especially everything is going to be through Zoom. And of course, the Knicks, even before the pandemic, had a very controlled environment around the players of what could be said. With that being said, you guys already know what happened. Answers are pretty vague when media members would ask questions, especially coming from Julius Randle. But I'll just keep it short and sweet and just focus on the main part, particularly coming from the younger guys, as a lot of them are going to be playing in a contract year, aka Dennis Smith Jr. and Frank Nilakina. They're both playing in their fourth year of their rookie year contracts. And then on the other side, we have Kevin Knox and Mitchell Robinson trying to get their extensions picked up. By the team but all these young guys could get extended even further before the start of the season if not they're gonna have to play their way through the season and then hit the restricted free agency market towards the summer so during media day remember everything is through zoom one of the reporters had asked kevin knox if he had put on any muscle weight uh yeah kevin um you talked about working out a lot and um with the weights and stuff have you put on like any muscle weight uh since the end of last season yeah, I mean, um, to the first question, I put on a, put on some great weight this summer. I've gotten a lot stronger. Like I said, I've been really just working on putting weight on my body, lower body getting stronger, upper body, you know, just staying in the weight room, just getting continue to get stronger each and every day. 
Uh, I think that's also another uh, huge aspect that's going to really help me out on and off the court as well. With Kevin Knox's season, I'm telling you, it's going to be really interesting because if you look at the position he was drafted under, which is power forward, the Knicks went ahead this season and drafted another power forward in Obi Toppin. So Kevin Knox is at a very unique position right now where he's going to have to really prove himself with not that much time due to the shortened season and the depth chart. I mean, you got Julius Randle. You're going to have to also battle with the new rookie that was drafted. And for the most part, he's going to have to really answer some questions this season. Is he quick enough to play at the wing position at small forward? Or is he going to be strong enough to get down low and play at the original position he should have been at, which is at power forward? Kevin Knox is not the only player that has to prove himself at his position while facing stiff competition. We also have Frank Nelikina, and he was also asked about it. A lot of, a lot of point guards on this roster. Um, some new, some you're familiar with. How do you, how do you see this shaking out, um, this rotation and, and specifically for you, are you, you think you're going to be more on the ball, more off the ball? How do you see this all shaking out? I mean, you know, how it goes. It's, the, it's part of the game. Um, we have a lot of guys uh, on this team, which is uh, a lot of competitors, uh, which is going to bring the best out of the team. And um, on a daily basis, we're going to compete hard for uh, four minutes and the coach is going to decide on uh, what he wants to do. And uh, we have trust in him. He knows uh, what he's doing. He knows his job. He's been uh, doing that. So um, he's going to put the best player together to uh, put the best team on the court. Now, what was interesting about Frank's interaction with the media was that on multiple occasions, different media members kept referencing Frank to the point guard position battle. I mean, I guess in their eyes, they still see him as the point guard or potential point guard of the team. When in reality, he's just a combo guard. And because of the versatility in today's NBA, he can guard multiple positions. But I just thought it was interesting that they viewed him as a point guard or potential point guard of the team still. But even though the point guard of the Knicks right now is stockpiled, and I'm going to touch base on this later in the video, it's for a reason. Because due to the sickness that's going around, guys are going to be out. So there's going to be a plenty of opportunities for all the guys on the team to get their chance to make their mark. And speaking of point guards, a takeaway from Dennis Smith Jr.'s interview was that he stated out of his own mouth that he was 100% healthy. And that's really important for Dennis Smith Jr. because this season, he does not have time to waste to be battling the injuries all season. It's been something that's been plaguing him his whole career. He really has to prove himself this season in order to either get an extension or to look good when he hits the restricted free agency market. Now, another interesting takeaway was the interview with Austin Rivers. As he backed up what Alec Burke had told the media previously about the Knicks actually being a good destination for players, even though the media has created this narrative that players do not want to play here. There's just too much opportunity, and there's also a lot of money to be made. Austin Rivers kind of doubled down with what Alec Burke has stated before. Hey, Austin, welcome to New York. We've seen a lot of free agents in the past not want to come to MSG, and we just had Alec on, and he's speaking about how New York is still the mecca of basketball to him. So I was wondering what attracted to you coming to the Knicks. And then the second part to that question, what was the best advice your dad gave you about playing in New York? You know, it's, it's funny. I, I think we're, we're caught in an era where everybody likes riding a, um, a wave. Um, and people want to go to places and that are already on the rise or go to, go to teams and franchises that are doing really well. Um, and people have lost interest in, in going somewhere and making something great again. Um, 
So I don't understand the opportunity of people. I don't understand someone not wanting to play for a city like New York. I, I just didn't get that. Um, I still don't understand that. Um, so for me, the opportunity was obvious um, to, to, to play like, like, you know, Alec alluded to in a city that is regarded as the Mecca of basketball with fans that they have, um, you know, why, why not try to be a part of something, you know, special, you know, everything right now is, is headed in the right direction, you know, from the, um, from the hiring of the coach to the hiring of the management and, and, and assistant coaches and, uh, you know, the picks that, we, that they, they drafted and the players that we've, we've, we've established this year, you know, we're building, you know what I mean? So I think to be a part of something is, is special, you know what I mean? It's easy to go somewhere where everything is already set up and they've been in the playoffs four or five years in a row. I've been on those teams and those are great experiences, but I, I want to take those experiences and those lessons and help this team and this organization in many ways as possible. And I'm sure Alec feels the same way. So I think just being a part of, I think that that era of like what you said, if people not wanting to come here, you know, our job is to change that. You know what I mean? And uh, we got to make it attractive, and uh, we will because we have everything else. You got the city of New York. You got the best fans in basketball. You got um, uh, you play in the Madison Square Garden every night. You got the style of living. You got all of that. So it's our job to as players, you know, because uh, the management and all that they can only do so much. Um, so it's exciting. I wanted to be a part of that. Why not? You know what I mean? So. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited for that. Now, Austin Rivers in particular gave a shout out to the Knicks hiring staff, the front office people, the people working the phones. As a lot of these guys, they're well-respected and Leon Rose has done a great job putting a team together. And not only his team is well-respected, they're well-connected. And I thought it was very funny that one of the media members had asked Thibodeau about the CAA, especially the Kentucky connection with the Knicks. Hey, Coach. Um, one, one thing... Um... I think a lot of us noticed when the roster was getting built, there was a common thread of a lot of Kentucky players, a lot of CAA players. Um, was that done purposely, kind of familiarity purposes? or I mean, what was the thinking behind that, or was it just coincidental? Yeah, I think more coincidental. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the Kentucky piece and is that they have one of the best programs in the country, whether you know, we're talking about a Kentucky or a Duke. Also, and I know both coaches very well, and uh, oftentimes we'll talk to them about, you know, the draft and what get their thoughts. And, uh, and you know, when, if you're getting a player out of, you know, either one of those programs, they understand what the team is, is about. They understand what winning is about. So it just, that, that part was coincidental. Uh, CAA is, you know, it's, one of the biggest agencies out there. And there's a lot of arms to CAA. There's a number of agents that work for the agency. Uh, and so it just so happened that, you know, quite a few of the guys are represented by CAA, but I think that probably holds true for most teams, um, but that we thought they fit us the best and gave, you know, we had the opportunity to get those, those players and we did, but there, there wasn't any anything that we said, well, we got to have Kentucky players or we have to have CAA players. That's just not the case. I don't believe the Knicks are going out of their way to get Kentucky players. It's just when the opportunity does present itself, especially in this year's draft, maybe they were one or two picks away. They didn't really have a guy in mind and they kind of went with a program that they were familiar with. The only thing I'm hoping is that they don't kind of play out the same situation when it comes to getting free agents. 
if a guy is on maybe he's on clutch sports or a different agency hopefully they don't play favoritism towards constructing the roster according to what agency a player is signed to that's the only thing i'm afraid of but speaking of agencies mitchell robinson i believe he fired rich paul from clutch sports so he's no longer affiliated with that so it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out because once again he has to be in negotiations with the knicks this season either to get that extension before the season starts or he's going to hit the restricted free agency so regardless they're going to have to be in deep negotiations into what his future is with the team now looking at the nba scheduling this shit is really interesting what they did to the knicks here i mean i'm gonna get right to it here they gave the knicks seven back-to-backs on this first leg of the scheduling which I don't understand. I'm looking at other teams, whether they were competitive last year or, or they weren't. They don't have nowhere near the back-to-backs we have. For example, of course, the Lakers are going to be on national TV a lot. They gave the Lakers four back-to-backs. They gave the Bucks three. But the Warriors didn't even make the playoffs last year, and they gave this team four back-to-backs. Dallas Mavericks, they got eliminated in the second round. It's a young team. They got three back-to-backs. The Miami Heat got three back-to-backs. The Clippers have five, surprisingly, but we have seven. That's unfucking believable. Seven back to backs to start off the first leg of the season, in which players had a short time to get into game shape. The preseason is short. I mean, guys have been practicing dolo, having Zoom practices for the past nine months. I'm not understanding why all of a sudden we get tossed this type of schedule just to start off the season. And our players have been off for the longest. They're the most furthest away from being in game shape compared to other teams that were in the bubble. But yet we get tossed this seven back-to-back shit just to start off the season. And it's not like a lot of these back-to-backs are spread out. Yeah, on the scheduling, there's too much of just four games in five days for the Knicks. I mean, just looking at the other teams, their back-to-back games are really spread out throughout their calendar for the first half of the season. You know, having a deep depth chart this season is going to be very crucial. That's why I was stating earlier about the roster construction this year. It's going to be very unique because these teams have to be very deep at multiple positions due to the virus that's going around because some of the players are going to be out not only for injuries, but also due to the virus. So being deep at point guard this season shouldn't affect the Knicks. Being deep at power forward shouldn't affect Kevin Knox still getting a chance to, you know, show what he can do. Same thing for Dennis Smith Jr., Frank Nilakina, because the 2020-21 season is going to be really important for teams to have serviceable guys. Because we're seeing players like Matthew Della Vadova getting signed, J.J. Barea, Trey Burke getting a long deal. So all these types of signings with these serviceable guards and even Tyler Johnson, even he got signed. It's showing that teams need to be deep and have, you know, at least players that are capable of getting and playing some minutes. So that's why assigning like Alfred Payton for the Knicks is going to be really crucial this season. Because once again, guys are going to be out not only due to injury, but due to this virus that's going around. And also with this fucked up schedule they gave us for the first leg of the season, this is going to be really important. I can't I still can't believe we have seven back to backs and most of the back to backs are pretty much four games in five days. Right about now, we're going to start to change the face and change the style. I don't just speak to just say words. I feel like every time I speak, it has to mean something. Either it has to be some sort of information, some sort of detail, or some sort of, you know, key to something. Like, I don't want to just hear it to say things that don't mean nothing. Because you don't want to just sound good at sound good, you know? It's got to be something, you know? Like, it's got to be something behind it. The foundation got to be strong. <laughs>
finally, last but not least, this is a subject I wanted to touch base on for a long time. Was the number of marketing mistakes the Nets had made when they first touched down on the borough of Brooklyn. And even with the additions of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, it's still not going to correct all those mistakes that were made because it kind of left an imprint on the consumer's mind, aka the fan's mind around the city on what kind of product the Nets are in comparison to the Knicks. You see, it's almost like a science in approaching selling a product in a market that's already dominated by a similar product. But with the Nets, this is a kind of a multi-layer complex issue as it pretty much involved the owner who was not from the American market. Then when the Nets first showed up, they allowed players who had no understanding of what Brooklyn was to speak on the borough. And also another strike they had going against them was making the Brooklyn Nets look like another city's rival team, AKA the Boston Celtics. And finally, I'll touch base on probably their most biggest mistake, which is an off the court thing, which was the most wasteful thing you could ever do in marketing is trying to change the minds of people. The Nets should have realized they should have focused on changing their perception throughout the city on what their team represented. So first I'm gonna start off with the Nets. They've always been marketed as a New York tri-state area team throughout the city for the past 35 years, ever since they moved to New Jersey in 1977. So off rip, you already have a long history of New Yorkers kind of viewing that team as a B-level team, especially when we always had the Knicks. So fast forwarding to 2012, when they first moved to Brooklyn, there was a few mistakes that they had made. First of all, they kept the same name. And second of all, they let too many players speak about Brooklyn when they didn't get acclimated into the borough yet. A lot of players like Gerald Wallace were saying that they were scared of the borough. Other players like Darren Williams were saying that they live elsewhere in New Jersey. A lot of the players were saying that they lived, they didn't live in the borough. They just came and practiced. So the team seemed distant from the borough off rip. You can see the major differences when the players start living where they play. Look at the 2019 Brooklyn Nets. Coach Kenny Atkinson lived in Brooklyn. Brooke Lopez lived in Brooklyn. They had a lot of players who lived in Brooklyn. And you saw the originality oozing out of that team as a lot of teams throughout the league was trying to imitate all the fun and dancing that they were doing that was going viral on the bench. So that was the first time that team ever looked like a Brooklyn team. They overachieved. They were young, fun, and full of originality. But going back to the earlier days of the Nets, a lot of the guys on the team, they were overpaid, like Joe Johnson, Darren Williams, Gerald Wallace. I mean, not only they were overpaid, they were pretty disconnected from the borough. Their energy levels just wasn't there. I mean, these guys were at different points in their career. They already made their money. They weren't hungry. The Nets should have came into Brooklyn with a more youthful team with guys trying to prove themselves Kind of like how they were with Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie. Kind of like how they were in 2019. Because with that first year Brooklyn Nets team, that wasn't it. I mean, didn't they let Nate Robinson just kill them in the playoffs? The Bulls eliminated them in seven games. Jimmy Butler didn't even play that well. And these guys got cooked. I mean, they were hanging up Where's Darren William posters all over Barclays Center. That's how bad that shit was. So once again... Marketing is a battle of perception, not products. And the Nets, when they originally went to Brooklyn, they made a lot of changes. They went out and got Gerald Wallace, Joe Johnson. They tried to build this team up to make it look like a more competitive team, thinking that they could snag fans away from the Knicks. When in reality, they should have worked on their perception, maybe the name of their team, how the uniforms look like, the marketing around the team, 
what's going to be the team's identity. Because Brooklyn, man, it's a very unique place. Around the world, people know the name. And the team's branding has to really be on par with that. That's a lot to live up to. In my opinion, I believe the Nets were really lazy when it came to the branding of this team. They threw on the face of Jay-Z and they thought they had everything covered. And it's a little bit more than that. I mean, do you even remember the first time you seen the jerseys of the Brooklyn Nets? I remember thinking, wow, that shit looks so simple. The jersey designs almost came across as if they were trying to sell the word Brooklyn, which is a major thing that's going on around the borough right now. A lot of corporations are coming in and little mom and pop shops opening up and they're trying to monetize the word Brooklyn by throwing Brooklyn on everything. The Brooklyn Burger, the Brooklyn Bagel, an apartment building will be called the Brooklyn. Everyone's trying to commoditize the word and the Brooklyn Nets jersey kind of gave off the same impression. And that's another strike that kind of went against the team. They came off as if they had no originality. They were just there to monetize the word like everyone else was doing, particularly outsiders. A lot of outsiders are coming into Brooklyn and they're just trying to commoditize the word. And in my opinion, the Brooklyn Nets were not trying to come off that way. That's why they used the face of Jay-Z to try to come into Brooklyn because at the same time, they already knew them building the stadium down in Flatbush, the area was going to change and they didn't want to be perceived as ginger fires. So that's why they use Jay's face a lot, especially if you notice when they first came in the borough, Jay had to show up to the game. Jay kind of had to be the face of this whole thing. That way, the people that were getting kicked out of their homes that they purchased years ago, in case that noise got bought up, at least Jay's face was on everything. And it took away a lot of heat from the Nets because they did a great job in using Jay-Z's likable image throughout the borough of Brooklyn. But then later on, we came to find out that he barely owned a percentage of the Brooklyn Nets. Now, with that being said, one of the biggest strikes against the Nets is making their team look like the Boston Celtics. I mean, come on. Trading for Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Jason Terry after they dominated the Eastern Conference for about five years prior to that, they made their team look like a rival city's team. That shit was a bad look. And I understand why it was done because the Russian billionaire at the time, Prokhorov, he understood that he had to make a big move to make that first initial impression. Now in the business world, I'm pretty sure Prokhorov took a lot of calculated risk in order to make his billions. But unfortunately, in this scenario, this was not the right risk to take. And not only did that stunt the Brooklyn Nets on the court, but it stunted them as far as perception. Not only they're known for losing, the team looked like a bunch of outsiders. You had Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce posters hung up everywhere around Brooklyn. It just looked like Brooklyn was repping a Boston Celtics team. Now, for those of you watching on YouTube, look at this Sports Illustrated cover with Paul Pierce, Garnett, and Ray Allen as Boston Celtic members. Now look at it fast forward with Garnett and Paul Pierce wearing Brooklyn Nets jerseys. This does not signify Brooklyn. Brooklyn is a place of originality. They don't do copycat shit. Now look at this advertisement outside of Barclays Center with Garnett, Pierce, and Jason Terry. That does not look good. That does not look good at all. I mean, anyone with any common sense, especially if they were from New York City that worked for the Nets around this time, would look at that and be like, this is not good branding right here. We look like a rival city's team. How the fuck can we build on this? You see, there's a hierarchy when it comes to certain goods or services or just brands in the back of people's minds. You could say it's almost like an imaginary ladder. When you think of a car, jewelry, certain foods, 
you think of certain brands right away. When you think of New York City basketball, what's the first thing that comes up in your head? Knicks. Or when you think about cars, you could say Mercedes, Benz, BMW. You see for the Nets, just like cars, like BMW and Mercedes and Volvo, they can exist with the Knicks, but they have to sort of craft an identity where fans are like, okay, when I want a BMW, I'm thinking about the quality of the drive. Or when I'm thinking about Mercedes, it's the engineering or Volvo safety. But there's other brands that can exist side by side, but they craft a different identity. That's what the Nets have to focus on. And they have the word Brooklyn on their jersey, which gives them already 90% of the help. All that's left is for them just to be original and think of new things. And once that new thing is attached to the word Brooklyn, it's going to be like an explosion. It's going to sell itself. I mean, look at Jerry Buss, a longtime owner of the Lakers that passed away. He was a visionary. He changed the whole way the basketball experience was like. He used the culture of LA with the celebrities. He did the whole red carpet rollout for people to come to the games. He did the cheerleaders. This guy was thinking ahead. The Nets just have to do half of that work and attach the word Brooklyn to it, and it will sell like liquid gold. But it's crazy because they lack a lot of originality. Look at their slogans. Once again, for those of you watching on YouTube, you can see right here in this poster with Jason Terry, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett. Hello, Brooklyn. We're in. See, that's a problem with the Nets. You could tell they're outsiders. Just like how the people come over to Brooklyn and try to gingerfy by tossing the word Brooklyn on everything, the Nets do the same thing. Everyone already knows you're Brooklyn. Just be fucking original. You're coming off like an outsider who's corny, who knows the word Brooklyn is cool, and wants to throw it on a t-shirt or every coffee mug, or play Biggie and Jay-Z at every Nets game as if there's no other culture in Brooklyn outside of those two people. The Nets are gonna have to get some people that's culturally connected onto their branding team so they can go ahead and form an identity or an in-game experience so they don't have to waste time trying to convince people to leave the Knicks, because that's not gonna work. They're gonna have to do the same thing sort of what the Pittsburgh Steelers do. They use the identity of the city and it trickles down onto the identity of the team. That blue collar type toughness identity that the Steelers have, that's the identity that they go with. It represents the city. The Nets are going to have to get people that's culturally connected and form some sort of in-game experience or just the identity, a slogan, something that's original. It can't be a copycat. And you don't have to toss the word Brooklyn on everything. People already know you're from Brooklyn. Just toss some dope shit outside of that and people are just going to associate the two now one perfect example the nets actually executed in making a creative dope concept is the kooji sweater city style jerseys that was the first time i thought wow the nets are actually getting their branding right and it reflects the borough now there's a lot with the borough they're gonna have to take in the good and the bad if you rock that kooji sweater in a certain time period in brooklyn early 90s late 80s that means you were slinging that candy. And that was pretty much a dope boy's uniform. You probably got carjacked driving your Chevy Impala. And you probably almost got your head blown off a few times for rocking that sweater. Because someone thought you was a D-boy and they figured you would have fat stacks in your pocket. I mean, that Kooji sweater was a drug dealer's graduation cap and gown. But getting back to the point, this is one example of them just getting creative without tossing the word Brooklyn on everything. And at the same time, they maintain originality. You know what would be also dope? You know with the Kooji City Edition jerseys, they should allow fans for just a day or two, like a special edition, to customize those jerseys. Instead of players' names in the back, they should have the names of Brooklyn streets and avenues. 
or even host an event that's kind of themed like a block party and have a promotion for those types of jerseys. It's just a random idea I just tossed out there, but these are the types of things that they can do. But there's just too much culture around the borough for them just to focus on the word Brooklyn, tossing it on every single piece of merchandise. It just doesn't make any sense. The Nets are going to have to think outside the box because they're always going to exist sort of the same way Coca-Cola exists with Pepsi. People automatically think of Coke over Pepsi, but Pepsi's still making their money, but they're second best. It won't matter what superstars they get, even if they have Kyrie and KD, it won't matter. They'll still be second fiddle to the Knicks. I mean, shit, even speaking of Kyrie and KD, those two guys, the perception of those two guys is really quirky. And I think the Nets, to soften up their image, that's why they have Steve Nash as a coach, because he's a well-liked guy. Other than that, their two superstars are not well-liked throughout the media, and they normally paint those two guys in a bad light. But anyway, regardless of what superstar they have, the Brooklyn Nets are going to have to enter the back of people's minds in a different way. What I mean by that is the same way you could say when you think about shipping, Federal Express, people think of speed, like I want a package overnight. But Federal Express was not the first shipping company, but people think of it in a different way. Same thing like McDonald's. People think of, oh, I'm going to get my food fast. The Brooklyn Nets need to market themselves in that sort of way where subconsciously when people think of the Nets, they think of something other than the Knicks or just basketball. They think something outside of it. Maybe they think of an experience subconsciously. Like the Lakers, even though in the past 12 years they were not able to get superstars, people still thought of the Lakers as a place where stars go because subconsciously it's in the back of their minds. That's the genius behind Jerry Buss. He made you think of the Lakers as stars and showtime because if they don't market themselves in this way they're going to be stuck like many other sports franchises that play second fiddle in other cities like the anaheim angels the new york mets that's why i don't think kevin durant realizes when he says the younger players don't see the knicks in that type of light but what he should have asked them is when you mention new york city basketball what do you think of right away i bet you most of them think of the knicks they're thinking the knicks first the Knicks are in their mind first because they entered the marketplace first. That's just how it is. Same thing when you say fast food burger joint. A lot of people instantly think of McDonald's. Even if you have a more favorable burger joint, maybe let's say Burger King or Wendy's, you still subconsciously think of McDonald's first. But the thing is with Kyrie Irving, he has a different relationship with the Nets. Kyrie Irving is a Jersey kid. And when he was coming up through the different leagues or ranks, he played against a lot of city kids, which he said they were trying to play him off like he wasn't good enough because he was from, you know, the Jersey suburbs. But Kyrie has a different relationship with the Nets. That's why when he said, I'm going home, even though the Nets moved to Brooklyn, in his subconscious, he views the Nets as his hometown team. And the same rules apply for New York City basketball when it comes to NBA teams. Most people throughout the city view the Knicks as being the hometown franchise. It is what it is, but uh, you guys, if you don't believe me, you guys can look up the history of a second-rate brand or sports franchise coming into the city and trying to take over. Historically, it's, the odds are not good. In New York City, make no mistake about it, man. It's a basketball city. For the Nets to have the lowest attendance record and just overall viewership is low, it's not a good look, especially for a large market basketball city like New York. 
But I'm telling you, a lot of it has to do with the way the Nets branded themselves when they first arrived. And if you don't believe me, look at that 2018-19 season. The Nets had Jared Allen, Allen Crabby, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, D'Angelo Russell. They was doing all that dancing. It was a pretty good season for them. And they won nine games in a row, and they were struggling to get fans to show up. I mean, during that nine-game stretch, Jared Dooley was on Twitter asking fans to show up to the games, just begging them, please, come to the game, support us. We won nine in a row. All this is on record, man. When you're in a position like how the Nets are in, trying to take over a first-place brand in the marketplace, there's a certain science, a certain way you got to play that game. Uh, the game's a game. Always. Until next time, you guys stay safe. Peace.